Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you because we're not standing in our own strength. We're not standing in our own power. But we are standing because you have kept us. You are keeping us. And you will continue to keep us. Therefore, we thank you for the honor and the privilege of being in your presence this morning. That which you have planned and purposed to do, I ask that you will establish it in the name of I ask Almighty God that the hearts of the people be open to your word in the name of Jesus. May they hear the voice within the voice in the name of Jesus. And Lord, at the end of the day, your name will be glorified. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen and amen. We may be seated in his presence. Hallelujah. Thank God for grace. Thank God for life. Thank God for strength. I'm going to start today's message by reading the lyrics of a well-known song. It was written by a minister of the gospel named William McDowell. I tried to find out if there was any history behind this particular song. I actually googled it to find out if the gentleman was going through something that made him write this song. But I couldn't find any information. But I'm going to read the lyrics to you. The song is titled, You Are God Alone. It says, you are not a God created by human hands. It says, you are not a God dependent on any mortal man. It says, you are not a God in need of anything we can give. By your plan, that's just the way it is. You are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. You are the only God whose power not can contend. You are the only God whose name and praise will never end. You are the only God who is worthy of everything we can give. You are God. That's just the way it is. You are unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's who you are. You know, just be seated. The new dawn is going to take that song. They're going to take that song for me. And I want you to listen to the words of it. Because from that song, we're going to take out a dimension of God that many have forgotten. And we're bringing ourselves to the remembrance of the fact that God is unchangeable. We're bringing ourselves to remembrance of the fact that God is unshakable. We're also bringing ourselves to remembrance that God is unstoppable. That the plans and the purpose of God over your life, nothing can frustrate it. Everything that attempts to frustrate the plan of God over your life, it's already frustrated in Jesus' name. Are you ready? You are not- 
take note of the chorus of that song it says you are God alone from before time began you are on your throne you are God alone now I want you to say this to yourself it says and right now, and right now in, the good times, in the good times and bad you are on your throne and you are God alone. I don't know whether you believe that in good times and bad times 
that God is on his throne. I don't know whether you believe that irrespective of what is happening to you as of today, God cannot be dethroned. I don't know whether you believe that irrespective of the circumstances round about you, God is sitting on his throne unshakable. God is sitting on his throne still and quiet. He's sitting on his throne calm. He's sitting on his throne, not as one who is about to reign, but one who is reigning. I want you to note something. That who you are in the midst of the circumstances of your life is dictated by the foundation upon which your life has been placed. The type of foundation that you have put your life on will determine whether you are shaken by the circumstances that are around about you. The foundation is a very critical and important part of a building. I'm not an architect, but thank God I have one. I know that that foundation, if you don't get it right, sooner or later, that building will collapse. And that shows to us that in our own lives... What we should be concerned about is what is the foundation? What are the beliefs and the truth that you hold dear to upon which every other thing is standing on? One of the truths I want you to hold on to today is that God is what? Unchangeable. That is a truth I want you to establish in you. Put it on the inside of you. Knowing that God is unchangeable. Your circumstances will surely change. What it was on Monday will not be what it will be on Wednesday. What it is on Wednesday will not be what it will be on Friday. That means that every day the capacity for change to take place in your circumstances is already there. What it is in January is not the same as what it will be in February. It's not the same that will be in March. And therefore, it is important for you to know that there must be something that must be constant. There must be something that does not change. Because it is upon that that you place your anchor. The scriptures is very clear in defining the different types of foundations. And we're going to see one of such in the book of Luke. As the scripture shows to us... The importance of a foundation. The book of Luke chapter 6, verse 46. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell and ruined, and the ruin of that house was great. We're going to learn a few things from that scripture. 
The Bible says that it is a man that went to do what? That went to build a house. It says he is like a man building a house. Number one, everyone is responsible for the building of his house. Are you listening to me? Everyone is responsible for the building of his house. That means that you are responsible for your house. I am responsible for my house. The reason why that is important is because many of us hold others responsible for the building of our house. So when your house is not looking good, the minute you begin to say, well, it's my parents. Well, it's my husband. Well, it's my wife. Well, it's my teacher. Well, it's my grandparents. Well, it's my neighbor. But the Bible says that it is like a man, not men, coming together to build, but a man building a house. Therefore, you accept responsibility for how your house looks. That's number one. You are responsible for the building of your house. Number two. It takes work, hard work, for you to build a proper foundation. The Bible says, and this man went to do what? Dig deep. To dig deep, he must have put in some effort. To dig deep, maybe he got some equipment. That means for him to get the foundation that he wanted, it did not just appear. Many of us are expecting things to just happen. But in building your life, in building you as a person, it takes work. I'm sure those who have been married 25, 30, 35, is it not work? It's work. That means that also, has anybody seen a beautiful garden before? Have you seen a beautiful garden before? And you looked at it and you admired it and said, ah, this garden is so beautiful. Did somebody do something to it? Did somebody take care of it? If that is in natural things, and I want you to apply it to yourself, then in the same way that natural things do not just happen, somebody takes time to go to a garden, to tend it, to water it, To take care of it. In the same way, it is also work to build a right foundation. And therefore, if you are not working at building yourself, don't hold any other person responsible. That's why I like the word there. It is like a man, not men. We're very quick to asking others, or rather pointing at others to do the building for us. No, you have to build. You. Point number three. It says in that scripture, my note says, number three. It doesn't matter the type of foundation a house has. The elements will still come against that house. I'm going to explain that.
And I'm going to explain that. Doesn't matter the type of foundation. That means that as much as I'm going to talk about building your house and letting it be founded upon the rock, that the foundation is built on the rock does not mean that you will not go through issues. Do you understand that statement in the context I've said it? The foundation is very important. That it is built upon Christ the rock is very important. But it will not be right for me to tell you that once your life is built upon Christ the rock, then everything is okay. There is a song that many sing. I'm glad we don't sing it in lettering. Because I believe it's unscriptural. I will never, Jesus, for, we don't even sing it here, so we don't know the words. You can't sing that song, why? Because the scripture tells you that even the house that was founded on the rock, the flood still came against it. The stream still went against it. So if you're asking yourself, why are bad things happening to you as a Christian? You are asking the wrong questions. That you are a Christian or become a Christian does not seclude you, exclude you from the storms of life. You see, somebody told you a lie when they told you the minute you get born again, everything is going to be okay. No. If anybody preached that message to you, go and look for the person again. No. Because the house that is founded on the rock and the house that is founded on the earth, both of them went through the elements. And let me tell you something about the elements. There are often things that you cannot control. You see, as human beings, we believe there are certain things that we should be able to control. We should be able to, I mean, we should be able to define it. But has anybody tried to manage a volcano? The last tsunami that took place, about terrible one in Asia, did anybody try to hold the water? What does that tell you? When the flood will come against the house, the owner of the house does not have the capacity to stop it. If he had the capacity to stop it, I believe he would have built walls. And even if the rains could not touch him, if tornado is, is he going to hold the wind? I want to tell you something today. There are certain things that are happening in your life, honestly, you just can't control them. They're not within your capacity. God has not given you the power and the ability to control them. They're like the wind and the storm and the rain and the volcano, the tsunamis that no man can control. Even the best scientist. What he can simply do is see how he's going to survive it. So that you are a Christian and you are wondering, God, why is this happening to me? That you're a Christian does not exclude you from the facts of life. From the events of life. 
It happens to everyone. The difference is, are you standing at the end of it? Point number four. The elements that come against the house attack the foundation directly. The elements that come against the house attack the foundation directly. And the question is, why the foundation? Because if you want to pull down a house, the easiest way is just go to the base. Once you pull it out from the base, what will happen? The entire house will collapse. That means that what you are going through, there is an intention. And that's why you have to be smart. You have to have understanding. You have to be like God to say, okay, what is the essence of this? The essence of what you're going through is that if that foundation is pulled down, I don't need to come and pull down the house again. The house will come down. So what the enemy will do is to do what? Just attack at the base. That's why the enemy goes for that foundation. Because he knows once that is down, then the entire house will come down. Number five. If you look at that scripture that we just read in Luke chapter six, it says that when the elements went against the house... The essence was to do what? Was to shake it. I want you to take note of that word to shake. To shake is to literally to move it backwards and forward and to displace it. That means that what you are going through, the essence is not just, you know if somebody just moves you, you just move left and right. But when there is a displacement, there is a mover, a up, you are moving from one location to another. So I want you to know that what you are going through is not just to just rustle you and just, you know, ruffle your feathers. The essence of it is to put you and to move you completely. If you know what your enemy is doing, how many people know that your victory is halfway already? And that's why I'm telling you that whatever it is that you're going through, that's why that song says in good times and bad times. Many people are saying, but God, I'm going through the bad times. He's telling you what is at stake. Don't think it's just, oh, you're looking for a child. Okay, it's just the child, the enemy is It's not, no, it's your faith. Don't think, oh, it's just a job. I've, I've just, oh, I'm looking for a job. I don't have a job. No, no, no. It's not just your job. There's something deeper. You might just think it's those things on the surface, but the enemy is attacking something deeper in your faith, in your life as a believer. He's after something. Number six. The foundation of each house. Number five, the intention. The intention of the elements is to come against the house to shake it. That is to move it up and down to side by side and to forcefully change its location. That's number five. Number six. The foundation of each house 
will determine whether it will stand or not. What you are built upon. If you are built upon the rock, your house will stand. If you are built upon the earth, the earth will do what? Will cause the house to collapse. So I want you to take a few minutes. What is a few minutes? I want you to take a few minutes and think about the year 2018. Think of January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. Have you gone through bad times? Who says I've gone through bad times? Who says it wasn't smooth all the way? Who can say there was things that just happened suddenly? And you're wondering, where is this one coming from? Then I have another question for you. When the flood was rising against you and the stream was beating vehemently against you, what was God doing? What was God doing? What was God doing? You see, when you go through trials and storms, as believers, one of the questions that we ask God is, God, where are you? We tend to look for him in the midst of that bad and terrible situation. We're asking God, where are you? Let's open to the book of Job chapter 23. Job 23 verse 8. It says, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. All that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seed, I would present my case before him. Is there anybody that has a case to present before God today? If you have a case to present before God, please put your hand up. Okay. It says, and will fill my mouth with arguments. I will know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No. But would he take note of me? There the upright could reason with him. And I will be delivered from my judge. And I like this. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he walks on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Is this describing anybody's current situation? You are actually looking for him to ask a few questions. So I want to give somebody a mic. And assume that you are before the Lord. What would you ask him? So I'm going to bring you before the Lord. Like Job, you are going to plead your case. So you are going to tell me, what questions do you have for him? What question would you ask him? Like Job, looking for him. God, why have you forsaken me? Ah. (laughs) Her question is, God, why have you forsaken me? 
Any other person having a different question? I know there's a question on this side. <laughs> what question would you ask him? I will ask as a typical Yoruba woman. I will first of all say, Kabiesi, Alagwadai, no. I will pamper him, worship him. Then I will say, how about my case? Uh-huh. How about my case? Beautiful. So everybody here says that you are like Job. You are looking for God in front and behind that you can ask him some questions. You want to find out why you are where you are presently. You want to find out why things have not gone the way you thought they would go. So we're going to read a little bit about Job. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Because he's the one that asked the question. So we want to find out why he's asking that question. Job chapter 1. The name of Job is interesting. His name actually means to weep and to cry. And when I got to the definition of his name, I'm like, ah, so why are you complaining if you are weeping and crying? Maybe you are following your... <laughs> and if somebody's name is weeping and crying, must he not weep? And he must do what? He must cry. But then I realized that he has nothing to do with his name. Because the name of Joseph means increase. An abundance. Did Joseph cry? Did Joseph cry? So that means he has nothing to do with name. As important as a name is, Job's name is to weep and to cry. And he did weep and he did cry. But Joseph's name means increase and abundance. And he still what? He still wept. So Job chapter 1, the Bible says concerning Job, he was a blameless and upright man, feared the Lord, shunned evil, he had many possessions, and was the greatest man of all the East. Yet in spite of this excellent CV, bad things still happened to him. And pastors taught us in this house, truth number one, Bad things happen to good people. Doesn't matter how you feel that you are good, you are practicing your Christian life and Christian work and Christian virtue to the height. The Bible says Job was a blameless man. I'm not so sure I've reached there yet. Feared God, shunned evil. But yet, on that day, it was as if heavens had abandoned him. So truth number one, bad things happen to good people. Truth number two, it is the unseen that controls the seen. If you will read the book of Job chapter one, I'm not going to read every part of it, but you can go back and read it. There you will find a conversation When the sons of God gathered together, that Satan also appeared 
And a conversation was taking place. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And the Lord began to boast concerning him. And Satan said, look, just take away the edge. We'll see what will happen. Question, did Job know about that conversation? Was Job aware that God was saying something about him? All Job saw was calamity, but he didn't know what was take, what had taken place behind the scene. What's my point to you? There's so many things that are taking place behind the scene. It is the unseen that controls the scene. Job did not know that God had actually put him on a pedestal to say, "Have you considered this man?" He didn't know. He was going about his everyday business. What is heaven saying over you today? What has heaven declared over you that you don't know anything about? All you are seeing is God, this is what I'm going through. I don't know if you've watched the play before, but I believe most of us have. When you watch a play, is it only the people in the front that are acting in the play? Who is at the back? There's some people at the back. There's costume, light, makeup, camera, sound. What you're seeing is just what is in the front. But everyone in the front will be totally useless without the people at the back. What does that tell you about you? There's so many things that are going on at the back. All you are seeing is, well, God, this is where I am now. What you should be asking him is, God, show me what's happening at the back. If Job had known that a conversation had taken place, I believe maybe his response would have been a bit different. Number three. Whatever happens to you, I want you to know is known by God. Whatever happens to you, I want you to know that it is known by God. God is not caught unawares. God is not surprised. God is not shocked. God is not saying what happened. He's not asking those questions. He is not surprised. Number four, the effect of the conversation behind the scene is what we begin to see in verse 6 to 12. In one day, his family, his children, his business, everything went down in one day. The Bible says that whilst one person was still talking, another one came. Whilst the second one was still talking to Job, another one came. And I asked the question, God, you didn't even give the guy space. You should have given him time to assimilate the fact that his children are dead. Then maybe give him like a month or two. 
Then you will not tell him, oh, your business, that one too is dead. Then you will not give him another one month or two. Then in the third month, you will come again. And you will not tell him, oh, his sheep is dead. Why would you, in one day, bring everything down? Then I gained understanding. Every bridge that is built, the builder determines the load that will go on top of it. Every bridge. There are certain bridges, they know that, look, this kind of trolley cannot go on it. They will even put a big sign. Don't go on this. Why? Because this bridge does not have the capacity to carry this. Is it the bridge that determines the capacity or the builder? So what does that tell you about you? God is your builder. Building you. So whatever it is that you are going through, he has already predetermined. He already knows that you have the capacity. The Bible says that he will not give you more than you can bear. So when God was putting all of that on Job or permitting it, allowing it, and knowing it was taking place, God knew that Job could handle it. Now, I'm sure many of you don't believe you can handle what you are going through. You don't believe you have the capacity. You are even tired already. But God says to you that what? He knows that you can handle it. He knows that whatever it is that you are going through, you have been built with that capacity to go through that. Are you listening to me? I remember once we had a program in the month of October. I went for a program in October. And that program was for widows, single parents, divorcees, separated. And quite a few people showed up for the program. And you know when you go for a program, you think that you are the only one that has problems. Has anybody been for such a program? So on that day, one of the speakers was there. And she was the first speaker. And she began to talk about her life. She had been married for just a year plus. Her son was a year old. He just did his first birthday. Her husband was in the house. And they don't eat meat. They're both on diets. So they said they were not going to eat meat. So on that Sunday morning, her husband said, no, I want to eat meat. Said, ah, but there's no meat in this house. We're on a diet. Why are you wanting to eat meat? We don't eat meat. Said, no, I want to eat meat. So she had to go out, go and buy lamb chops, cook the lamb chops. He ate the lamb chops. She said, ah, okay. In the evening of that day, the uncle of that, her husband, came to the house. He just bought a new car. And he told the husband, okay, please, let me, let's go for a ride. So he entered into the car. They went for a ride. They stopped at the petrol station. As they got to the petrol station, armed robbers took the car. They took her husband, put him in the boot, and took the owner of the car, and he sat inside the car. The next time they found her husband, he was shot, dead. The next day. Are you hearing me? So that was part one. So, I mean, it can't get worse than that, can it? So she has a son that is one years old, and she's raising her son by herself. The son goes to school goes to secondary school, 
The only child, wow, beautiful, awesome, great. Then the child becomes sick. And upon becoming sick, he's in the hospital. And then from the hospital at age 20 something, he's dead. Okay. Then after that, she gets married again. Thanking God that she's married again. And in getting married again, things just didn't go well. So now she's separated. Okay. Whilst that is going on, she has a business. And as her business is going, one thing just led to another. To somebody who was, she had offices in different locations. Everything, zero. No husband, no child, no business, nothing. And she was there talking. How many people know that if you came with a problem on that day, your problem has gone? You are not hearing me. Even me, that day, I don't have any problem. (laughs) By the time she finished speaking, I just thank God that I don't have any problems. And I'm wondering, God, but why would you put such on one person? One person. How do you put that on one person? The building never determines, or rather the bridge. The bridge never determines the load that would go on it. It is the builder. I want you to get that right. The bridge does not determine who, what, the caliber of car that will ride. No, it is the builder that says, no, this one is a trailer that will go there. No, I don't want a trailer there. In the same way, so it is with us. Are you hearing me? Job went through all of that in one day. And if that was even enough, I would have said, okay, at least he has tried one day. The rest will be better. The next day, his body and everything was what? Was afflicted. But did he survive? Of course he did. So what am I trying to say? God will not allow you to carry the weights that you cannot carry. You may not feel you have the capacity to, but God knows and God understands that you have the capacity to. Are you listening to me? Number five. The people that you have around you as you go through your bad times is very important. The people that you have around you in your bad moments, in your bad times, they're very important. The Bible says that the first person that the enemy tried to use was the wife of Job. She said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Then what about his friends? I mean, he has some wonderful friends. Eliphaz in Job chapter 4 verse 7 said, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where, where, where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. That means as far as they're concerned, it is your sin that has gotten you to this state. His friend Zophar was exactly the same. 
So I want you to write this down. What kind of friend am I? What kind of friend am I? Do I beat down the person who is already down? Do I beat down those who are already down? Am I a miserable comforter or a true comforter? Those whom you surround yourself with in the midst of adversity, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your bad times, it's very important. Job's condition was so bad that he was forgotten by his friends. In Job chapter 19 verse 13. It says, he has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their side. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife and I'm repulsive to the children of my own body as Job continues his journey you can read the story I'm not going to read everything but Job came to a point when he had to realize that all that he's going through is for a reason look at Job 23 verse 10 we can start again just a little bit from verse 9 Job 23 you can just start from verse 9 it says, when he walks on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Continue. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth. More than my necessary food. What did Job come to the conclusion? As much as he was looking for God to give him an explanation of what he was going through. When he couldn't find him, he had to come to certain resolves on the inside of him. And those are the things that you must hold on to as an anchor for your soul. When your mind begins to question why, when you are looking for him to ask God, why, where are you? Job says that I have not been able to give answers to my questions, but there's one conclusion I'm fully persuaded about, that when this process is over, I cannot be worse off. Are you listening to me? I want you to hold that to as even if you can't, you, you don't have that audience with God today. All your questions, there are many, they're still on your paper. You don't have answers to them. No problem. But there is one conclusion you must be able to come to. That after all is said and done, at the end of it all, I'm not going to come out worse. That at the end of it all, I'm going to come out better. And that's why Job says, when he has tried me, at the end of it all, I shall do what? I shall come forth as gold. 
So, where is God when you are going through bad times? I'm going to give you a few points before I round up. Where is God when you are going through the bad times? Number one, God is ever present with you. Though you may not see him, you may not feel him, you may not be able to touch him, you may not even know he's there. But I want you to know that he's there. How many people are breathing now? Are you breathing? Where is the oxygen? Can you see it? But is it there? How do you know it's there? You're alive. Or the scientists have told you anyway that it is there. So though you cannot see it, you're not touching it, you cannot touch it, you cannot... I'm talking about the oxygen. You can't do that. But you believe that that oxygen is there as you are breathing now. How much more with God Almighty? The one who created the oxygen that you believe is here. Number one, he is ever present with you. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. You can read that at much later time. It says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 46 verse 1. He is a very present. Present. Whenever I get to that word present, I always love this analogy. I love the analogy of when you are in primary school. And they used to take the rotor. And they will call your name. Yika. Femi. Shagu. Doyi. Then I want you to imagine you are doing the roll call. You say, God Almighty. And he says, I'm present. Do you understand that? You are doing a roll call. And he says, I am present. So when he says, in the good times and the bad times, the first anchor that you will hold on to as a foundation for what you are going through, is that he is ever present. God, you won't call God and say, say absent. No. Ever present. Number two. God is seated at a vantage point. And that is why he is not panicking. God is seated at a vantage point. Psalm 2 verse 4. It says, he who sits in heaven, in the heavens. Why is the the heavens important? Why? Because it's from there you can see everything. The Bible says that he is sitting and he is laughing. I want you to look at that word laughing. God is not laughing at you. Who do you think he's laughing at? Why is he laughing? (laughs) God is laughing not at you, but he's laughing. He's laughing because he knows what the end will be. He's laughing because he has seen that end already. You see, when you are sitting like this, you can't really see everything. But if you are right on top, you can see the end. 
So when you are saying, but God, where are you? He said, look, don't worry. I'm, not, I'm at that vantage point. I can see everything. At that vantage point is a point where he can laugh. Not at you, but laugh at the plans of the enemy because he knows they won't prosper. Number three, where is God when you are going through all of this? He's omnipotent. All-powerful. When you accept that as a truth that God is all-powerful, you're simply saying that there's no limitation to him like man. You're simply saying that God has power over all elements. And if that is true, that means also what you are going through, God has power over that circumstance. We're looking at truth that you're going to hold on as your foundation. That that which you're going through, that God Almighty is ever present. That God Almighty is at a vantage point. He has seen the end. He's laughing because he can see it's a good end. And number three, he's all powerful that there's no circumstance. There's no situation that you're going through that's greater than him. Number four. God is all knowing. You must hold that as a truth, that God is all-knowing. There's nobody that's going to give some God information. You know, sometimes I think we need to update God. <laughs> Does anybody want to update God? You want to keep him abreast of what is happening. His app is that old version. You want him to upgrade and update. He doesn't need to be updated. Are you listening to me? God does not need to be updated. Many of us wonder, are you sure he's even seeing what I'm going through? Are you, are you very sure? He's seeing. Are you sure he knows what's happening to me? He knows. Because he's all-knowing. Number five or six. You must also believe that that which you are going through, there is a purpose. There is an intention. There is an intended end by God. Because if you don't hold that, that means when the wind comes, it's going to take you away. You must also believe that God has a purpose. God has an intention. Quickly, somebody open to the book of James chapter 5 verse 11. We're going to read that very quickly. James chapter 5 verse 11. It says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure You have heard of the perseverance of Job and see the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now I want you to compare two things very quickly. When we were reading the book of Luke chapter 6 and we looked at the house that the flood was beating against. What was the intention? To do what? To shift. To displace. To move it. But here in the book of James, 
It says what? There's another end intended by God. I want to do an analogy. Please, can you both come? Please both come. I am here in the middle. I am going through travails and issues and worry and concern. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. On this side is God Almighty who is seeing me, who is hearing my prayers, who knows what I'm going through. And the Bible says that he already knows that this is where I will get to at the end of it. On this side is the intention of the enemy. And I want you to know that his intention and God's intention can never be the same. They do not work together. They do not cooperate with the same goal in mind. They don't. So if God is going here, I want you to know that he is going there. And the Bible is telling us that there are different intentions of each person. Each person has different intentions at the end of the day. But it is in James chapter 5 that you build your anchor on. It's in James chapter 5 that you know that whatever it is, it is only God's intention. So whatever it is that you're going through, at the back of your mind, what you hold on as an anchor is God, what is your intention? It is only your intention. Remember also, Satan has his own intention. His intention is to shake, to move. To disrupt, to displace. The Bible says he goes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says his agenda is to steal, to kill and to destroy. So you already know that agenda. And that's why the Bible is taking us to the book of James chapter 5. Because I want you to know that the end intended for Job by Satan is not what happened at the end. Do you understand me? What you read in the book of Job chapter 42 is not Satan's intention for that process. Satan's intention at the end of it is that Job will do what? Curse God. And that's why James says, for you know the end intended by the Lord. I want to tell you something. As you look at yourself and you look at your life and you have questions. We all have questions. Like Job, we all have questions. But let me tell you, you may not get answers to those questions. You may be like the Lord Jesus. I said, Lord, let this cup pass over me. He answered him. He just sent him an angel. That's the best God did for him. Or you can be like Paul. He says, Lord, these three times I have pleaded with you. Take this thing away from me. He said, look, I will answer you. My grace is sufficient for you. That means you may not get answers to those questions. He may not even answer you the way you want to be answered. But let me tell you what he will do. He will answer the prayer according to what he has already seen at the end. And so our focus is not the process. Our focus is the end. What is the end intended by the Lord? So I round up with these words. I want you to know that God whom you serve is unchangeable. I want you to know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
that that which he has done in the lives of not just Job. I could take you through Joseph's life. I could take you through the life of the Lord himself, Jesus. I could take you through the life of Paul himself. That which he has done in all their lives, he is still doing in our lives today. Most of them, we are reading them what? In the Bible. Am I right? You read about Joseph, you read about... But you know that a generation will come, they're going to read you. Did Joseph know that you and I were going to read him in that Bible? Did they know? No. So that means that one day, the Bible says you also are going to be what? The living, what? Epistles. Men and women are going to do what? They're going to read you. So this is how you made it. Eh? Are you sure you made it? How did you make it? Ah, it's the grace of God. Eh? Please come and share with me. The same God who took them through that process, he's taking you through the same process as well. And every truth that we have discussed and shared about him, he will never leave you. He is ever present. He is all-knowing. He is not surprised. He is seated in a vantage position. He is all-powerful. There is no circumstance that you are going through right now that is greater than him. And finally, that which you are going through, there is an intended end for it. And that's what God is looking at. Where are we going to? Ah, that's where we are going to. Oh yeah, let's keep going, keep going. Hey, that's where we're going. That's what he's looking at. And my prayer for you is that you will keep the same focus. As you go through the year, we're entering end of the year, we're entering into the new year. Everything that you have gone through, I want you to take it as just one thing. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. You are going somewhere. You may not have seen that place, but just keep telling yourself, it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. And my prayer for each and every one of us, that only the end intended by the Lord, only that will be fulfilled in Jesus' name. Shall we rise? Hallelujah. We're just going to pray one or two prayer points for ourselves. I'm just going to raise one or two prayers. I want you to hold the person that is next to you. You are going to pray for that person. The person that is next to you, you are going to hold. Just hold and make sure that there's no break in the chain as much as possible. And you are going to pray. Why is prayer important? Prayer is important because you see in the book of Luke chapter 22 verse 32. The Lord himself spoke concerning Peter. It says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That your faith should not fail. So that means that the essence of what Peter was going to go through, what the enemy was after was his faith. You see, you think that the things that you are asking for is, well, is I don't have this. I don't have, no, that's not the issue. The real issue is your faith. That at the end of it, will you still remain standing? Will you still call him Lord? That at the end of it, he will still remain your savior, irrespective. That's what he's after. 
That's why Job's wife said, curse God and what? And just die. But you are going to pray for that person. I don't know what that person came with this afternoon or this morning. But you are going to pray. You are that person's intercessor. Lord, I pray for my brother and I pray for my sister. That Lord, whatever it is that they are going through, their faith will not fail in the mighty name of Jesus. I stand in the gap concerning them even today. In the mighty name of Jesus. That their faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Almighty God. That their faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. I want you to pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Pray for that person. Pray, pray, pray for that person. You don't know what that person is going through. (laughs) You don't know what they bought even to the sanctuary today. But God Almighty knows what they have bought into the sanctuary. God Almighty knows what they have bought into the house today. And you are going to stand in the gap like the Lord himself. He stood in the gap for Peter and says, I have prayed for you. Therefore, I pray, pray, pray for that person. Lord, I thank you for this hand that I'm holding. Thank you, Father, for grace released in the name of Jesus. Grace released in the mighty name of Jesus. Grace to go through in the name of Jesus. As you said unto Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. We release that grace right now in the name of Jesus. Your faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. Your faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. You will stand strong and sure in the grace of God. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Whatsoever it is that they are going through at this hour, we thank you, Almighty God, that their faith will not fail. Their faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. Lord, they stand in your grace. They stand in your power. He stands in your grace. He stands in your power. He stands in your grace. He stands in your power. Let there be a release of God's grace over his life in the name of Jesus. Thank you for grace released unto him in the name of Jesus. Grace to go through in the mighty name of Jesus. There's an empowerment from God on high in the name of Jesus. Your faith will not fail in the mighty name of Jesus. But you will stand strong in the seasons of time. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. You are going to pray one more prayer. Don't let go of that hand. One more prayer. The book of James that we read says one thing. It says, for you know the end intended by the Lord. And I like that the scripture was able to tell us what was intended by the Lord. What was intended by the Lord. He says, for you know Job, his perseverance, God's intention. Job says, I will come forth as gold. By the time you read Job 42, you can see that truly the Bible says he died old, full of days. God gave him double of everything. He went through a process. It was not Satan's desire that came to pass. It was not Satan's intention that came to pass. It was God's intention 
over his life that was fulfilled. You are going to pray for that hand. That in the mighty name of Jesus, it is God's intention over the life of that hand that you are holding. It's God's intention that will be fulfilled in the mighty name of Jesus. Not the intention of the enemy. Not the intention of Satan. But in the mighty name of Jesus, we stand almighty God in the gap for everyone. That Lord, it is your intended end. Lord, we thank you that it is your intended end that will be fulfilled over our lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, it is your intended end that is going to be fulfilled in our lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, it's not the enemy's end. It's not the enemy's purpose. It's not the enemy's desire. But Lord, it is your desire. It is the desire of God that will be fulfilled over our lives. It is the desire of God that will be fulfilled over our homes. Therefore, that which we are going through, we'll pray in the name of Jesus. It is the intended end of the Lord. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. It is your intended end that will be fulfilled. Lord, it is your purpose that will be established. Lord, as we go through the process that you are taking us through, as you are releasing grace to us, Lord, it is your end that will be fulfilled. It is your end that will come to pass. In the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. As you go out throughout this week, I want you to hold on to God in prayers. That Lord, whatsoever it is that I'm going through, that the Lord God, my faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. That I'll remain standing strong in God in the mighty name of Jesus. And we are going to continually pray throughout the week that, Lord, it's your intended end. Whatever it is that you have purpose to bring out of this situation, at the end of it, it's his name that will be glorified in the name of Jesus. One of my favorite scriptures, I'll share with you quickly. One of my favorite scriptures is the man who was born blind. And his parents were there and the, the disciples and the men saw the Lord in the temple. And they said, Lord, who caused this that this man should be born blind? Did he sin or did his mother sin? He says, no, it's not about sin. He said, but that what? But that God will be glorified. That's the end. You see, you can spend all the years asking why, why me, oh, why me? All that one is long story. It's not about why me. What is important is, what is the end? He says, but that God will be glorified. That will be your testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. That will be our testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. That at the end of it all, God will be glorified in Jesus' most precious name we're praying.